You've got to decide whether you believe Jesus is the bread of life or not. It is your choice. But if you do believe that, you will have a wonderful reality. Uh, You'll never hunger or thirst again. Knowing God intimately through Jesus. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Gospel of John holds some of Jesus' deepest and most significant teachings about who He is and His purpose for coming to earth. Today, David continues our in-depth study of this Gospel by taking us to the sixth chapter in a message called True Soul Food. So let's continue our journey through the Gospel of John verse by verse. We'll probably spend close to a year Looking at these verses, they are some of the most powerful studies in all of the Bible, words from John that are 90% unique to John, not found in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's like John, Jesus' best friend, wanted to make sure we had some of his most intimate teachings that he had heard from Jesus to make sure that we understood them. Now, from last week, remember that Jesus was talking about how manna that was given to the Israelites in the wilderness was a gift from God from heaven but it didn't satisfy. The next day they would need more manna. They would hunger again. Then he said, but I want you to eat of something that will satisfy you forever. And that's where we ended last week with verse 35, where Jesus said to his listeners, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, first of all, notice that word, whoever. That means it's your choice. You've got to decide whether you believe Jesus is the bread of life or not. It is your choice. But if you do believe that, you will have a wonderful reality. Uh, You'll never hunger or thirst again. It was Pascal, the famous philosopher, Christian mathematician, who said, within each of us, we have a God-shaped void. And all of us have that hunger spiritually in our hearts. We'll eat bad food spiritually to satisfy that need, which some people in our world are doing with all kinds of wrong philosophies and spiritual untruths. But those of us who really know Jesus know He is the bread of life. And when we ingest Him, we never hunger or thirst again. He is our satisfaction. He is our sufficiency. And that's what Jesus was trying to say here. Whoever believes in me will receive this fullness of life. It's your choice. You've got to make that decision yourself. I pray you've made that decision to follow Jesus because it has to do with your eternal reality. Then verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. I mean, before they they, they had God himself, uh, but they didn't believe. Uh, some people have said that in the Old Testament, you have God talking a lot. In the New Testament, you actually see God. It's like in the Old Testament, the Old Testament's radio. The New Testament's television. You hear a lot about God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you actually see him in Jesus in our language, form, and style to understand who God really is. Then we start seeing in verses 37 through 47 realities of how to know Jesus intimately. If he really is the bread of life, how do we know him intimately? How do we grow in that relationship with him? So he says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, that is you and me. Now, here we have a dichotomy, don't we? We have to choose Jesus, whoever believes in him, yet also we are gifts from the Father to the Son when we believe in him. It's the Father who draws us to the Son. That is a mystery. We'll never understand it until we get to heaven. The 
balance between predestination and free will. Nobody can properly explain it here. It's like two train tracks that are parallel to one another. Where do they meet? On the horizon. As you look into the future, when we get to heaven, we'll see how those two things come together. We don't fully understand it here on this side of eternity. But then Jesus says, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Dear friends, you cannot lose your salvation. It came from God. He gave it to you, and he's not going to take it away from you. If you have truly been born again, if you've truly come to Jesus and know him intimately, if you have ingested him as the bread of life, he will never, ever cast you out. You are a part of his family. Look at verse 39. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, several things there that are important for us to realize. Another statement about the Trinity, not called the Trinity. The word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible, nor is the word Bible in the Bible. The word Trinity is an understanding theologically of one God and three persons, something that is taught consistently and considerably in the Bible. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect union life, yet one God. So the Father was the one who sent his Son into the world, and Jesus says that I came down from heaven. So the Father said to the Son, would you go? And the Son said, yes. He entered this world to pursue you and me. Why? We had wandered far from God in our sin, and we're heading toward hell. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He left the splendor of heaven to enter the squalor of this world. He left the beauty of heaven to enter the ugliness of this world. Why? Because of love to pursue you and me so that we would have a relationship with him, have our sins forgiven in order to have eternal life. And that's what he says here. But he didn't come of his own will. He came of the Father's will. The Father looked at all of us in our wanderings, and he said to the Son, my will for your life is that you put on human flesh, you be birthed in a town called Bethlehem. And if you don't know, the word Bethlehem means city of bread because Jesus is the bread of life and you will take on human flesh, live the perfect life they can't live, die on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, then offer them the gift of eternal life, not through their works because none of them, because of their sinfulness, can ever do enough to earn eternal life. It will be given to them by grace through faith. So the Father, by His will, sent the Son into the world. The Son adopted the will of the Father, submitting Himself to the Father's will to accomplish the work of our salvation so that we would not go to hell." And then we continue, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. The will of the Father is that we be rescued, that we be forgiven, and that we not be lost in the gift of salvation to Jesus by the Father, but that we be raised up on the last day. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we have these words that for the joy of suffering on the cross, Jesus took on the scorn and shame of the cross. Now think about that. The joy of suffering on the cross, what caused Jesus to have joy in his suffering on the cross? Here's the answer. You and me. The reward for Jesus going through the suffering on the cross, the joy of that reward for him on the cross was you and me. We were the reward because he came to give us the gift of eternal life, which means he has communion with us not only now, but forever and ever and ever. Let's keep moving. Verse 44, this is the will of my Father that everyone 
who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That whoever, there's that whoever again, looks upon the Son. That word in the Greek literally means gazes upon the Son. I mean, stares all the time on the wonder and love of the Son on that cross who was raised from the dead. Dear friends, let me ask the question, have you just glanced at Jesus or have you gazed at Jesus? There are a lot of people who say they're Christians have just glanced at Jesus, just a mere sideways wink. They're not really gazing upon Jesus because when you gaze upon him and your eyes are fixed upon him, the author and finisher of our faith, he starts transforming your insides to start living and feeling and looking like him himself. He is our Lord. He is our Savior, and we all need to gaze upon him. And when we do, we really believe in him. When I survey, there's another idea of gazing, the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain, all the stuff of this world, is quickly lost, and God pours contempt on all my pride, my arrogance, my selfishness, my ego, edging God out, E-G-O, dies, is crucified on the cross as I learn how to follow Jesus and know that on that last day, he's going to lift me up to be with him forever and ever. Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came to save us from our sin because he knew the reality of hell, and he didn't want us to go there and suffer there eternally. So he came to rescue us from the pit of hell so that we can have the gift of eternal life. Folks, that's the unfiltered gospel. I had a friend of mine write me this week and said his family was talking and how grateful they are that I preach the unfiltered gospel. Folks, if it's a filtered gospel, it's not the gospel. It means somehow you fudged on some part of the truth of the gospel, and it's not the gospel. The gospel means that God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to rescue us from our sins so that we can have the gift of eternal life and not go to hell. Whosoever believes that. Do you believe that today? If you believe that today, then... You are one of the chosen. Uh, choose God and you'll know that God has chosen you. People ask me all the time about predestination and election again, and God choosing us. And isn't it wonderful that God does choose us, that he gives us to the Son and we believe in him, but we've also got to choose. And here's the way you'll know that if you're one of the chosen, choose Jesus and make sure you believe in him today. Let's keep moving down this track of study. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, why did they grumble? Because first of all, he used the term, I am, Yahweh. He claimed to be God. So they started grumbling, but also that he could satisfy as the bread of heaven, the deepest spiritual longings of people's hearts. They grumbled. Folks, you just need to know that if you say something, especially in today's culture, that is radically true, and you're going to stand on that truth, you're going to have grumblers and complainers who are going to doubt if what you say is true. Someone told me this week that if you live this life, 50% of the people you know aren't going to like you no matter what. So just realize you're going to be despised and rejected by some number of people. Jesus was despised and rejected. That was a part of a prophecy written about him in Isaiah 53, and yet he continued to move forward. Bottom line, let me give you this Davidism for today. No one has ever erected a statue to a critic. No one's ever erected a statue to a critic. So if you get criticized for following Jesus, 
Just expect it. It's a part of the deal, and people grumbled against him when he made his claims. They'll grumble against you when you support the claims of Jesus as well. They said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So these Jews, now notice it's a capital J there in verse 41. It means the religious leaders. Not not all the Jews felt this way. Many of them decided to follow Jesus, but these religious leaders, probably older guys with their glasses on the end of their nose, their legal pads, writing down all their sins and trying to condemn people and accuse them of their sins. They then asked the question of Jesus, who is this guy? Isn't he Mary and Joseph's brother? Now, a son. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Uh, First of all, familiarity breeds contempt. Where Jesus was was pretty close to the town in which he was raised. They probably knew him growing up as a little boy and then into adulthood, and they probably asked the question, who is this guy? We've lived with him to make these claims. Again, familiarity breeds contempt. But I think there's also something else going on here because remember, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how the Father bypassed the way sin is transmitted from person to person and generation to generation. So the power of the Holy Spirit conceived this perfect God-man, 100% God, 100% human in Mary's womb. Now, that's so important because if we really believe that, the whispers that were said during that day were probably, this child that Mary's carrying around is illegitimate. And probably for Jesus' childhood and into his adulthood, those whispers continued. So it could be that these grumblers are saying this with a sneer on their lips going, isn't this the illegitimate kid of Mary and Joseph? Who is he to claim to have come down from heaven and give people the gift of eternal life? Verse 43, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Well, first of all, he's saying to them, don't grumble because it's not right for you to do so. Folks, he's also saying to us, don't grumble. Don't complain. If you complain, you'll remain in your situation. Grumbling and complaining That's the opposite of faith. Grumbling and complaining are also cousins of unbelief. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Jesus said here, in fact, in Philippians 2.14, Paul wrote, do everything without grumbling and complaining. If you're grumbling and complaining about anything right now, as a follower of Jesus, you're wrong. Operate in faith. Trust him with everything. Even the bad stuff, God promises he's working through that for his glory. Verse 44, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There it is again. God's the one who chooses you. God's the one who draws you. God's the one who begins the relationship. God first called you to enter into the marriage relationship with him. God's the one who initiates the love relationship with you. God is the one who does that. We choose God as a result of that, and that's the proof that God has chosen us. And I will raise him up on the last day. You see that continual theme in these verses. Jesus came to raise us up on the last day. Jesus came to give us the gift of eternal life because we are headed toward hell, and he wanted to rescue us from that perspective. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets and that they will all be taught by God. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 54. One quick note there. I have heard a pastor who's very famous in the last year or so say we need to decouple ourselves from the Old Testament with great respect and deference to him. Let me say he's wrong. 
You don't need to decouple yourself from the Old Testament. You need to study the Old Testament and see how Jesus is in every part of the Old Testament. He's thoroughly in the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament points to him. And that's why Jesus said, it is written, and then quotes from the Old Testament. The other thing is, if Jesus is truly God in human flesh, come from the Father to this earth, and he quotes the Old Testament, folks, that means the Old Testament is the word of God. Genesis through Malachi is the word of God. Why? If God quotes it and says this is true, then we've got to have God's perspective on the Old Testament. Jesus said it is written and then quotes from the prophet of Isaiah. And then he continues, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So if the Father is teaching you, you're going to come to Jesus. If you're seeking God, you'll find Jesus because Jesus is God who is seeking you as well. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Well, who's that? That's Jesus who came from the Father, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He had seen the Father, but no one who lives in human flesh other than Jesus has ever seen the face of the Father. Then verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, listen up, amen and amen. This is really important. Jesus is about to make a very important point Whoever, there's that whoever, you choose, whoever believes has eternal life. Now, that's how we know Jesus intimately. We understand these parts of the family. Let me run through them real quickly again. First of all, you understand that the cross was accomplished by Jesus in great pain, but he had joy in that pain because we are the reward of going for that cross. And because of that, we're now adopted into the family of the Father in heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the Son, we're adopted into his family. We are children of God. Jesus is our big brother. Now, folks, on those days that you want to know Jesus personally, just remember he came as the Father's Son to us and now as our big brother to rescue us, to adopt us into the family of God. There's nothing we could do to earn that. For those of you out there who have fostered or adopted, you know you chose your children to be in your family because you just wanted them in your family. There was nothing meritorious in them that allowed you to choose them. You just loved them deeply. The same is true for us. There's nothing we did to earn God's favor. There's nothing meritorious in our works that would make God love us. He just loves us because he loves us. He adopted us into his family because he simply wanted us to be in his family. We're heirs of everything the Father in heaven owns. He has written us into his will. What a glorious, wonderful, magnificent reality that God has given us. We are in his family. It was a joy for Jesus to go to the cross to be able to adopt us into his family. listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about the Ten Commandments. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, you titled today's Davidism, Try the Ten Commandments. Will will you unpack this one for us? (laughs) Well, I was one time on a community-wide task force that was looking at upward mobility and the problems that exist in our different communities. And I raised the question, were people making socially acceptable decisions that would then lead to a greater chance of upward mobility. And several of the people looked at me quizzically and said, well, what are you talking about? What kind of moral framework do you think needs to exist for people to make wise choices? And I kind of scratched my head thinking, man, are you so naive? You don't know the answer to this. And I answered, well, why not try the Ten Commandments? Mm. The Ten Commandments are God's moral law. They are his very nature, that when he gave those to Moses, it was his way with his finger writing on that stone saying, this is who I am. This is my character. And this is what I want you to be. You know, the Bible says, be holy as God is holy. So the 10 commandments represent God's holiness and what he desires for us. Now, in some places in the Bible, the 10 commandments are used by Paul as a way of pointing out our sinfulness and driving us to the savior, Jesus. I mean, if you go through each one of them, you go, whoops, ouch, And we realize we've broken every single one at some level or another. And people say to me, well, I've never committed adultery. And of course, Jesus said, hey, if you've even had a lustful thought, because Mm -hmm. adultery begins with that first lustful thought. And some say, well, I've never committed murder. But in Jesus' language, he said, if you even are angry, you have begun the process of murder, because Mm -hmm. murder begins with that first angry thought. So our nature in our hearts is basically selfish, sinful, and we've broken all of God's moral law, his holiness is reprehensible to us as we've lived, so we need a Savior. Mm -hmm. We need somebody to forgive us of our sins. And then, after we've come to him, the Ten Commandments are his moral law on how to live. Mm -hmm. And when we follow those directions, we then have a life that is holy that we can pass on to our children, our grandchildren, to the next generation. Mm, This is so powerful. And just even living, even if you're not a believer and living by these principles, your life is going to flourish. You're going to see blessing. Yeah. You know, Jen, someone once said that we don't break God's law. God's law breaks us. We're driving down life's highways and God has put up two guardrails on each side and that's his moral law. And it's not because he hates us and he's a celestial killjoy. He's just trying to keep us from running off the highway into the ditch and destroying our lives. His moral law is good, righteous, and holy, what Paul said in Romans 7. And when we follow his law, his way of doing things, our lives go better because God's the one who created us. He gives us his operating manual, the Ten Commandments. And when we read his operating manual and follow it directly, our life's car 
goes better, mm-hmm. runs better, mm-hmm. is better conditioned. It's so good. I love how you put together the words holy and love. He's a loving God and he is holy. Yeah. So he has a standard. Those are his two characters. He is holy, perfect, and because we're not, we need a Savior because of his great love. He sent Jesus, our Savior, into the world. And when we have Jesus' love living inside of us, we want to be holy. Mm-hmm. That's it's so that simple. Good. That That's what God desires for all of us. So good. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, Jen. And listeners, if you would like to have a daily written moment of hope from me, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there, and in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. will come from my heart to yours, a written daily moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our Sunday morning worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock, in person or by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. Also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. I hope you have a great weekend.